August is Zorro Month here at the Fire and Water Podcast Network. To celebrate the 101st anniversary of Zorro, we here at Fire and Water are producing several episodes celebrating the Fox and his appearances in various media. First up is The Mirror Factory. We focus on where the legend began, the seminal novel by Johnson McCulley, originally entitled The Curse of Capistrano. Then, over on FW Presents, we'll look at El Zorro's long and storied publication history in the realm of comic books. Then on Film and Water, we'll discuss the classic 1940 film The Mark of Zorro with Tyrone Power. Then on Digest Cast, we'll get small to discuss the Zorro comic digest from Paper Cuts. And finally, back on FW Presents, we'll examine the classic 1950s Disney Zorro television series starring Guy Williams. You can find all of these shows at fireandwaterpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. So carve out some time to celebrate Zorro Month with us this August on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Wait, that's all we're doing? Why did you make me watch Zorro the Gay Blade? back to another exciting episode of Goth Girl Horror, the official hack slash podcast. I am your host, Dr. Chris, and tonight we are covering not an issue of hack slash, but an issue of a comic book that Cassie and Vlad actually guest star in, and it's the Living Corpse Annual Number 1, and tonight on the show with us to talk a little bit about the Living Corpse, who he is, what the publication is, and this issue of hack, uh, this issue of, of uh, the Living Corpse is one of the co-creators, Buzz Hassan. Thank you for coming on the show with us, Buzz. Yes. You're welcome, man. Thanks for having me, dude. This is pretty cool. We're big fans of Hack Slash. This is awesome. Where does the living corpse come from? What is the evolution of the character? How was it created through your zany way, uh, uh, brainchild between the two of you? And the uh, co-creator, unfortunately, was not the other creator was not able to be on with us, Ken. Yeah, Ken Hazer is my co-creator on the living corpse and one of my best buds. And we've been publishing it off and on for about, probably say, 10 years, 15 years or so, somewhere between there. But yeah, uh, Ken couldn't make it. had a little bit of technical difficulty, but I'm here to cover the topic with you today. So uh, a little bit about the living corpse. He is a sentient zombie, so he's like self-aware. Um, the inspiration came from me and Ken's like a- affection for George Romero and like his idea to evolve the zombie into like an intellect- back to an intellectual. <clears throat> and... Um, we just sort of superseded the process and sped it up and made it kind of like a solo comic about a zombie and what it would be like to be one. And then from um, the creative process, me and Ken put together uh, making that, it just continued to sort of write itself through us and, you know, the pains of being starving artists and uh, struggling to, to make a living as artists. We sort of wrapped that into 
what it would probably feel like to suffer as the undead. And then uh, in the process of writing it about him, we brought in other characters, other elements inspired by you know all the cool stuff in horror, some of the universal aspects, some of the uh, conspiratorial aspects, like in an X-Files way. And then before you knew it, we had two or three graphic novels under our belt, sort of telling this tale about a guy who we named John Romero, um, who, who we know as the living corpse, sort of a, um, a title that I feel sounds like a Boris Karloff movie. So I, I wanted, a lot of what we were doing was really inspired by 90s comics and classic cult horror films that you know a lot of people are fans of today making the book we did it in six issue um, story arcs the first one was living corpse omnibus second one was living corpse exhumed the third one is living corpse relics where he um, battles an ancient version of himself sort of like a mirror kind of character from another time and that was a kickstarter project that we did that did really well who was the first publishing company that started the living corpse for you we actually started putting him into chat rooms online before social media really had a hold on the society or the culture. And, uh, <laughs> and what yeah. a hold it does have. It's like its own entity. Yeah. It is its own entity. It's almost like another reality you could exist in. It just doesn't sustain you in the physical vessel. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we were eager to go home from the day job and then log on and like look for other creators and other people who were doing like their own thing. Um, this is like late on the heels of like the black and white indie boom of the eighties where people were self publishing, printing their own stuff by getting copy machines. And um, me and Ken were kind of in that like realm, like late nineties, early 2000 era where we, we could find a printer, we could make something ourselves. You know, the, the line to submit a portfolio or to a publisher was so long and arduous that you know, it's like common in comics for them to tell you how much you suck to see if you'll come back. And um, every year, you know, both of us were pushing portfolios. And then we just get to the point where like, we published it ourselves. And so by doing that and going online and promoting it and like joining chat rooms and building a fan base that way, like one person at a time in different states, we garnered the attention of a visual effects producer, Justin Ritter, who did a lot of work with Roger Corman over the years. And uh, so we built a relationship with him, and he was able to sustain uh, like a movie deal for us that was a very low-budget animated movie deal, but a movie deal nonetheless, which is very hard to get. And um, so the, I think the, the interesting process was that we we attained it, we got contracts, you know what I mean? Just like you know, Tim had sold his rights for Hex Flash to be made into a film around the same time that we were making our comic book, and so it was like an indie sort of hype to get your rights sold, get your project picked up, you know? I was actually introduced to The Living Corpse, I think, besides the Hack slash uh, Living Corpse uh, crossover event in the annual in 2009. Um, I didn't uh, pay as much attention to it as I did until the animated movie came out, and then I went back and researched the character, and I was like, oh, there's like a whole bunch yeah. of comic books about this character. That's kind of cool. Yeah. When yeah, the... The thing is, is like if you make a character, you have to put material out on it. You can make all the merch you want, but if you don't have any stories or any sequential art, you don't have any books put together, you don't have anything. You have a myth, you have a myth that you haven't written about. So for us, it was like despite we weren't really interested in you know getting picked up by a big publisher, selling 100,000 copies. 
we were interested in creating a character between the two of us that was authentic to us, inspired by all the things that we love, and continue to write that character until it outlived us. That was the goal. It was never, like, you know, we could sell 100 copies of something today, but that's like nothing. You know what I mean? Like, you need to sell, you need to sell over 10,000 to, to get, to make the cool club. But for me and Ken, it was mostly just, we're comic book guys who couldn't get any work. So we just made our own stuff. And it, it was all inspired by all the favorite things. So we just keep pushing it and keep doing it. The movie was a big deal, but it just, it had, it had a lot of red tape and issues on the production angle in California that were out of our hands, obviously. And so we just continued to put the book out and continue to tell the story they wanted to tell. And we still, to, still do to this day. Um, the newest book we wrote, The Hex Files, was, was written by David Michelinie, who is the co-creator of Venom, Taskmaster, and a bunch of other characters, you know, in the Marvel Universe that, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a 40-year-plus veteran. So working with a big creator like that, this is how we evolve ourselves as creators. We just keep reinventing what we do. Whether it's on radar, whether people notice it is not an issue. You know I mean, it's, it's a matter of making it. That's the hardest part, is making the book. Did you guys go to Tim, or did Tim come to you to want to uh, incorporate Cassie into this annual? Um, I saw his his stuff coming out from Devil's Due, and I was hip, you know what I mean, to the material. I liked the direction he was going with it. I read Love Bunny, Mr. Hell as well, which I think is a, you know another book that's equally as entertaining and fun that he did. And um, you know, I'm a big fan of his stuff, and he was. And he worked with some guys who were selling his original art, I believe. I forget their names, but we were in the same convention circuit running into these people. And, you know, it, it was like a friend of a friend kind of thing. And so that started the dialogue. Uh-huh. And then I, it's been so long ago, but that's kind of how it happened from just being at conventions. Me and Ken did a lot of conventions and a lot of comic store appearances, kind of like the Blues Brothers. We just hit it, got in a car, hit the road. And we did like 10 shows a year for like 10 years just pushing the book that's a good way to do it (laughs) it's the only way to do it honestly now if you do that like you know you will garner like you know you're following but there's so many people doing it that it is very difficult to the 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 hardest part is the uh endurance to doing it it's not coming up with a good enough idea i thought you were going to I thought you were going to say the hardest part would be uh, uh, a pandemic. <laughs> nah, the thing about pandemics is, is like, if you know anything about history, this is just another stepping stone in it. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it, you don't know where you're going if you don't know where you've been. So if you're not, if you're only paying attention to the now, then of course it's going to blindside you. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of researching material deep into rabbit holes and stuff for years you know like a lot of people in hollywood are really into the conspiracy stuff and so this stuff sort of inspires ideas and stories you know and i, I can't say i didn't see it coming <laughs> yeah. can you imagine it's like only, 80 matters time can you imagine like 82 years ago the guys behind superman batman spider-man whatever well not spider-man because he hasn't been around for eight years but superman and batman hitting not the convention circuit because i don't even think there were conventions 80 years ago nah, but hitting like but hitting but but hitting uh, uh, art stores and bookstores with their funny books and being like, we have a character who can fly during yeah. the Great Depression yeah. on the eve of World War II. And they'd be like, look what we have. We have a man who dresses like a bat and he's a billionaire. <laughs> it's funny because a lot of that stuff is inspired by the, the, the global narrative at the time. You know what I mean? Like we made our character because zombies were popular again, like in a Resident Evil fashion. Right, know? yeah. 
So we were just catching in to that. And they come around like about every 10 years or so and do it again. Do you have- yeah, I mean, when it comes to Superman, I mean, there was a global threat of nuclear war. They created that character out of the threat that there was going to be a, that kind of a nuclear, you know, shit going down. Wait, so, uh, su- wait, Superman, wh- what? Superman was created before the bomb. The bombs went off way before they, they, they publicly went off. There, there's like there's like recorded history of them going off before they they, they went off. They, they have like, I mean Solomon's Solomon's tomb alone has like blueprints on making a, pow- a, a device that has the power of a thousand suns. So like you know if you're looking at like the library you know at the Vatican or the Library of Alexandria and the history of the world, they, they've had nuclear devices for like millennia. Do you have the issue with you right now, the Living Corpse Annual Number One? I don't have the issue, but I have the hack slash uh, omnibus. Which has the issue in it? Cool. Yeah. Okay. So uh, typically we usually go through this kind of panel by panel. Obviously it's a little different when we actually have the creator of the book with us. Uh, right. So it would be like a spotlight thing because most of the interview, we, uh, most of this episode will be talking about your history with the character and what else that you're working on and more focused on you than the issue itself. And we do the same thing when we have Tim Seeley on, who will be back yeah. on to talk about uh, the upcoming episode around Halloween time, which will be uh, hack slash the movie, question mark, question mark, question mark. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, is it coming? Yeah, Never. no. Uh, no, we're going to talk about, because he's not under any type of NDA from any studio. He's allowed to do whatever he wants. And I said, why don't you just come on and finally just go through even stuff that hasn't even been written about, about all the bullshit yeah. with the studio and the and this effing movie over and over. I'm not even on broadcasting, I can swear. This fucking movie. Well, thing, so like, he's going to go on, he, he's going to come on and do that. That's going to be great because this is the time for something like that to be talked about because with the uh, video on demand, the, the people that I know in Hollywood are like, you know, that, the studio system is dying. So Right. Well, it, I mean. It's all coming, down, it's back, coming back to the independence again. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Everyone's like, oh, my God, it's the death of the movie theater. I'm like, no, it's not. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm talking about as them having the monopoly on the ability to Oh, right, it. right. So one of the first things I want to get off the right away, even though it doesn't occur until the middle of the issue, is – when did Cassie and the Living Corpse meet? Because she mentions them having met, but this comic book published, there's no prior Living Corpse Cassie team up that I'm aware of. Well, that's comic writing, man. We're talking about something that you didn't even know about, so it, it could write it later. It, we always leave things open ended, and we definitely had intentions of doing another, uh, I guess, team up, but it just never happened. So well, we got onto other stuff. But the, 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 the time that probably have done it would, would have been possibly my first Maniac, which was the Cassie miniseries origin story when, when Hackslash went to Image Comics for publication, um, yeah. because Vlad doesn't know The Living Corpse, but Cassie does, and that would have been a perfect, yeah. like, oh, they met before she met Vlad. Oh. Yeah, you know, it was, it was sort of like, we we kind of made it up on the spot. I mean, and a lot a lot of stuff, you know, comic ideas kind of pop out of our brains like that. But I, I it, like I said, we're talking about something that, ha- that happened. What was this like eleven years ago? This is <laughs> so, yeah. This publication yeah, yeah. is April um, two thousand nine. I don't have the exact publication date on, yeah. on my screen. I, the, the most I can remember about the backstory is that we hadn't written much of it yet because we just wanted to do this Jersey Devil story. And like you know, obviously do a team up or a mashup with them because, like I said, we were, we're we're sort of traveling in the same convention circuit as a lot of the guys that like Keely knew from Devils do, and a lot of the artists that were like there's a couple other artists like Jeff Zorno was in that group as well, and he did a lot of cool stuff for like Godzilla and a bunch of he's an awesome 
comic book artist, but he's a friend of ours as well. But yeah, like when we come up with the idea, it was just like a short pitch, like a one sheet. Like, what do we just do? Like them versus the Jersey Devil, you know? And then he was like, yeah. And then we just we just write it, you know. <laughs> but I mean, the, the the plan was is like it, when we look at her universe, we see all these characters and these like cool, excuse me, uh, reality aspects around what she is and who she is, stuff like that. And we just felt like our character, you know, would stumble on her eventually. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to. Like, we want to do a crossover with the tech, too, but it's like, it's just going to be a matter of whether it happens. There were, according to one website, there's only 5,000 copies of this printed? Oh, yeah. We print everything really, really low. You know, I tried really, really hard to get our book published by bigger publishers, and, you know, we had two, and it was global. It was in, you know, we have fans in Finland and stuff, but the thing is, is you never really see any money from it. You never mm. really get paid from the book selling in, in bookstores, at least from my experience. So at the time you're on your third graphic novel, you know, the book is selling out, you're not seeing any royalties. You get to a point where you're like, eh, we should probably just go back to publishing this ourselves, you know. So there's three covers to it. One has uh one by you and Buzz. How do you guys do a cover together? Because the artwork looks similar the entire cover. And I'm not an art yeah. expert to decipher between the two of you, and your artwork does look somewhat similar, but in yeah. in some ways it's not. Like I saw a very insanely detailed creature from the black lagoon on his page but your yeah. art looks more like what i'm seeing on the front cover with cassie vlad and the corpse if you look at our stuff like more thoroughly you will see that ken's works more consistent than mine i i'm a professional tattoo artist for over 20 years so excellent i tattoo i, tattoo, I paint i um i have tattoos on my arms too what's that you can't see them but i have tattoos on my arms too <laughs> No, that's cool, man. Yeah, I mean, I tattooed Ken. That was one of the first things that, like, we started hanging out. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, the the art in this issue is penciled by me, layouts by Ken, which she breaks the storyboard down, and I penciled it, and Ken inked it, and then I believe Ken colored it as well. And uh, that was in our early, the early years, you know, which we were still sort of figuring out the way that we even really wanted to do the book. I know that when we got the, when, when Tim was gracious, gracious enough to allow us to play with the characters, I can remember you know, in 2009, we were only really publishing the book for about four years. I can remember being like, man, this is like a really big deal for us and almost like a little like nerve wracked about doing it. And I know that like the deadline came up quick and we had to kind of rush the art. So it was like not our best effort, but it was an awesome, you know, experience to have worked with those characters and to be able to do that. But um, the stuff we do now is pretty streamlined. Me and Ken come up with the ideas together. He does a breakdown. I pencil it tight. He inks it. And then we have a guy named Blair Smith who does all the colors for us who brings uh, light and value to the colors and the character that is inspired by like Basil Gogos who's an artist on a lot of the old famous monster magazines and um, so the stuff we do now the new stuff we do is very streamlined um, and uh, you know the, the stuff from the annual you know it's definitely like it's definitely our early style but I think like with me and Ken you know when you're trying to break into comics it's so difficult that you sort of if you can partner up with people it does make the creative process more enduring you know it's like camping camping alone is can be exciting and, and fun but eventually it's pretty boring i imagine you know for camping for a week alone so working on a creative process it gives you like this reflection thing that you can like bounce ideas off each other like prism you know and to the creative juice is slow and then make something that you know you didn't that one of you wouldn't have done on your own so that for us has always been how we work together 
uh, from an inside view is, you know, like I'll, I'll have an idea and I'll hit him with it or he'll have an idea and then, you know, I'll do it. It's just like this fluid thing because we grew up in the 90s watching Image Comics be formed and the studio aspects being brought back in, like the old Marvel Comics bullpen era of the 70s where the artists and the writers were on staff all in the same building, which makes this really creative, like, process of, like, new ideas and things like that and and if you're isolated alone it, you know i just think it limits you so working with other people working with ken uh that's basically why we do it is because it's like oh did you see this oh that'd be cool you know what i heard you know let's put this in there because we're writing new material now that will come out next year and you know it's pretty deep stuff like the story about this living corpse is this ex- existential experience of sort of the pains of death mixed with another chance to live again and, and like why and it gets pretty cosmic where in the omnibus does this issue uh take place is it after issue 25 what for oh uh for this one? i'm actually not sure man um it's in the omnibus you said yeah it's in the back of the hack slash omnibus volume three it's after the Halloween. Okay, yeah, because publication-wise, it looks like it was published after issue 25, roughly, because it has the yeah, same. probably. Because it has the same date, April 2000. It has the same date, April 2009, as issue yeah. 25. There's another guy in here named um, Brian Bow who did a. I'm. Yeah. I love his stuff. Yep. Uh, Brian and I, Brian uh, will be coming on the show um, after this. Uh, we're still working oh, out awesome. those details. So, who is Josh uh, Medoris, who did the uh, incentive ke- uh, sketch cover? Oh, Josh Metters. Metters. Yeah, Josh was an artist that uh, worked at Devil's Do quite a bit. Um, he, we met him at the Pittsburgh Comic Con. He actually passed away, I think, in like 2012. Oh. From brain cancer. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. It was really rough, man. But um, to get into the brighter side of who he is and what he did was uh, he was a professional uh, comic book artist working on Chucky for Devil's Do, and we met him at Pittsburgh. I'm a huge fan of horror and Chucky, and I, and I like horror and comics mixed particularly. So when I when I stumbled on his work and him at the show, he's a really nice guy, and you know he'd asked me about my tattoos, and I told him I was an artist, and he wanted to get a tattoo, and so eventually we connected, and um, from like 2009 to about up into the year he died, we, I tattooed him and traded him a lot of art. We traded a lot of artwork that he did and tattooed him a lot. We became really good friends. And he, um, so he did a lot of work for us. He did a, an alternative cover for us for our first issue, which was like limited to 500. And then he went on to do like stuff for GI Joe and. Yeah, it looks like I have a lot of his GI Joe stuff. Yeah, he's awesome, man. I, I you know, I miss him because the thing about him for us was there's a lot of. Um, a lot of like nepotism and ego in the comic book industry and so when we met him he was a real genuine person with us and it was unusual so we were really blown away by his generosity his friendship and how candid and cool he was because we about every 10 conventions of meeting like assholes we would meet one cool comic guy and then we would just add those people to our like repertoire of who we would hang out with who we would support and he was one of those guys he's amazing talent and um he just got hired by Marvel to do some cover gigs right when he passed away. So that was like his number one dream was to get hired by Marvel when he did before he went. Whose conscious decision was it to make Vlad kind of look like the living Corvus because he's very corpsey in this issue? I think it's just how we draw. You know, it's like if, if one guy 
you know, like Sam Keith draws superhero, they all like look the same structures to him and stuff. Right. So I think for us it was a combination of just drawing things the same over and over again in a repetitive manner as, as comic book artists and the fact that we probably rushed the deadline. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. I absolutely love the way uh, Cassie looks at it as well as the blonde chick who's running in the uh, from the from the uh, from the Jersey Devil with her boyfriend. The coverage of like the corpse's tattered uh, cloak and then her hair over her nipples is like okay. <laughs> they have all the blood and stuff, but nipples are still evil and bad. <laughs> well, we had nipples on the witch in the end, or the Jersey Devil's like birth mom or whatever. Right. And they edited that out. Oh it God. Actually, it actually had the annual had like a whole section of pinup art oh. from from independent creators that we were friends of ours that the publisher cut out of the book. Oh jeez. So and, and they didn't let us know they cut it, so we cut our contract up and moved on. Uh, did those get published in the omnibus? Because sometimes the omnibus omnibuses publish stuff I don't have in the floppies. The thing about the Hack Flash omnibus is it just published the story. When we put the book out as our annual, it had forty. It was supposed to have forty-eight pages, and then got cut to thirty-two. Yeah, I noticed without, that w- w- without us knowing it. And then all of our friends went to the market to pick the book up, and we we're like, "Where's my pen up?" And we were like, "It's not there." And we were like, "No." And then we knew at that point that Dennis Gove had edited it without permission. So, you know, it was upsetting to them. It was upsetting to us. So we just broke the deal with them and moved on and found Dynamite. Yikes. Sorry to hear that, man. Well, that's comics, dude. That's that's, that's it. That's comics. Most people, most people do not talk about the negative stuff, the dark side to it that's absolutely so brutal that I know I, there, there are individuals who have tried to commit suicide because of it. Yikes. Um, yeah, I know. I took it down there. So, I took it down the hole for you. All right. So Tim also <laughs> did a cover for the issue as well with Cassie standing above the living corpse looking like he's about to curb stomp him. How come you guys didn't put the Jersey Devil on the cover or the witch? Because it doesn't sell. You need, you need the characters that are on that are in the book to be on it, you know. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a giveaway too. Like why put the giveaway on the cover? Right, right. The 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 witch in the issue giving birth to the demon and Kathy and Vlad's expression on their face of like holy shit, and then like you know everyone just being like that's it. It's kind of cute. Is is hilarious. But both Kathy and Corpse have a reaction that Vlad's just like all right, well, let's just do this. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We're huge fans of Sam Raimi, you know, so we wanted to do that shock 'em up type stuff, you know. And uh, that's a, you know we're always trying to we're always trying to sprinkle a little Evil Dead and everything. What was the name of the witch itself? The witch is Mother Leeds. Is that what her name is? Yeah. Is there any history? Yeah. Uh, so the for anyone's not aware, the Jersey Devil is an actual folklore lore that it's you can a cryptid, look up. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a crypto. Uh, what what were, what were you, you just said it? Cryptozoology. Yeah, cryptozoic. Uh, you know, a, a cryptozoic figure of the folklore of South Jersey. Ken's Ken's from South Jersey. I was I lived there for a bit. Right. I'm from Mar- I'm from Maryland and um right on the right on the border there between the, the three states of Delaware. So we we were you know we haven't really seen like the Jersey Devil in the comics in a while. And we've never um, seen a Hollywood movie of it either. Yeah, I guess they just don't believe in it enough. A lot of people don't like New Jersey. They're just like, eh, New Jersey. Except for Kevin Smith and and yeah, MTV. Yeah. <laughs> he, is, he, 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 he is the saint of New Jersey for sure. He is definitely bringing legitimacy to it. Whatever they, whatever they were talking about, this is the way Jersey people are on the Jersey Shore. That stupid reality TV show on MTV. I'm just like, has no one ever watched a Kevin Smith movie? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jer- Kevin Smith movies are pretty accurate. Yeah, but I'm a huge fan of his of his stuff as well, and. Yeah, his stuff's great, but I mean, that's, that's what it's like. <laughs> the common descri- 
description is that of a kangaroo-like or wyvern, wyvern, I don't know what wyvern is. Wyvern? Wyvern-like creature with a horse-like head, leathery bat wings, horns, small arms, clawed hands, legs, and cloven hooves. I can see Hollywood totally doing this into a movie. Are you kidding me? Come on, Hollywood. Slap a few hundred thousand dollars on that or a million bucks will get you that. It it, it it has not been done well enough that like it should be. Like if you could take Pumpkinhead and then it just switch it to Jersey Devil, it would be a win. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to go win the lottery. I'm going to hire Rick Baker out of retirement to create the damn yep. thing because I'm going to be the guy financing it and be like, listen, I you tell me the price tag. You yep. get the price tag and nothing will be questioned. Create the thing, Rick Baker. Do yeah, what you that's do. How you that's how you get it. Yeah, exactly. And he'd be like, absolutely. I get to do whatever I want. Whatever you want. Just make sure we stick to the price tag we agree upon. That's the only thing I have. Cheers. Cheers to that. He's the king. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, so is the witch based on any particular lore? I, th- I think it's just like any, we, we drew a real ugly, you know, like we just wanted it to be like repulsive, you know, like like a Peter Jackson. Right, line. right, right. Like uh, the fat. The fat creature in Evil Dead 2. What, um, oh, yeah, Henrietta. Thank you, thank you, which was played by Ted Raimi. Yep. Um, and then in the back of the issue, you have a couple pinups, one, one once again by the dearly departed Josh Medors. Medors? Medors. Medors, sorry. God, I'm horrible with names. That's all right. And then one by Ken and you. No, one by Ken and Mark Kidwell. Yeah, yeah, I don't have them. But, yeah, Kidwell's great. He's another guy that knew Metters real well. I love the fact that you guys also had a letter page in the back of your comic book because it's like, I think <laughs> Image and independent people are the only people who do this because Savage Dragon creator Eric Larson always has a leather letter page. And the only time he never did, he apologized for it. And the only other time he never did is because he said, nobody wrote in a letter this month, people. <laughs> <laughs> Like guilting the fans of his comic book. He's like, listen, I know the comic book sold sold some copies, but nobody wrote a letter, hence why there's no letter. <laughs> and I was like, oh, jeez, I feel really horrible. <laughs> he gave us – Eric gave us our first bad portfolio review. It was pretty funny. Oh, that's hilarious. That's absolutely hilarious. Um, and then there's some ads in here for another Dynamite book we're not going to talk about because after what you just said, or not Dynamite, Xenix Scope, excuse me, we're not going to continue giving them any more um, oh, accolades. All right. we, we, we've, we've made, we've, we've buried all the accolades. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Um, where... just, I just was telling the story as it went because people may wonder, wonder why it said 48 pages or whatever and it wasn't. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Where can people go now to find The Living Corpse and where can people go to find you and your partner on social media? You can find me uh, at Buzzcorp, B-U-Z-C-O-R-P-F-E, uh, on Instagram. And Ken is there as well, Ken at Ken Hazer, K-E-N-H-A-E-S-E-R. We're also on Facebook. Um, our site's down right now because of the social media kind of things running and everything, so we're just kind of there hanging out. But, yeah, if anybody's interested in our books, um, I don't know if you can see them on camera, but I can hold them up. There's hold on, i got to switch relics. Yes, I see that. Cool. And there's also The Living Corpse, The Hex Files. Oh, I a, love that. It's a cover homage to Amazing Spider-Man 316 or Venom's on top of Spidey. Yep. And the reason why we, the reason why we did that is because the writer of that issue, David Michelinie, wrote of this issue as well. So he's a co-creator on this character, Max Hex, which is like a ghost detective. Uh-huh. And we created that character with him. So we'll be doing like a mini-series with that character as well. On the back of that issue is a flip cover to sketch cover. Oh, cool. So, yeah, if you get it if you get it from us, you can request to have a sketch done as well. Um, we also have copies of Hatchet uh, covers we've done for Hatchet. Cool. A couple cool ones there. Um, Hatchet Vengeance. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really I, I really like the way this book is going out, and I feel like it's um, I feel like it's cool for fans of the the show, the movies, because you can like get more stories and stuff. And then uh, our also our relic book has an insert in the front for a sketch as well. We sign a sketch on everything. Oh, I Everybody. like that. Yeah, I like how you're doing that. We have a coloring book we just put out as well. That's cute and adorable. Yeah. So, a bunch of cool stuff in there. So, anyway, yeah, we got tons of stuff. You can just hit us up on the internet, and we you can send them to you. We pack everything real well, and we send all kinds of extras. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on for the Living Corpse Annual Number 1 guest starring Hack Slash, uh, Kathy and Vlad. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. Thank you. And this comic book was published, as Buzz has mentioned, in Omnibus Volume 3. So if you want to look for it and you can't find the individual floppy because there are only like 5,000 copies of it printed, and your, yeah. the back issues of Hack Slash are... The back issues of Hack Slash are very hard to come by, so but the omnibuses are available, and they're available in case you can't afford it on the Hoopla app. The Hoopla is a library-free app that's also endorsed by Tim Seeley, so if you want to read all the issues of Hack Slash legally, go to Hoopla, download it, connect it to your library card, and you can download up to five comic book digital graphic novels a month, as well as books, CDs, and whatever else you get at the library. Awesome. It is. Thank you so much, Buzz. Thank you. Murderous monsters don't stand a chance